0: It's Thursday, February 24th. You're tuned into Real Talk. A lot to talk about today. This is real life all around us. I know it's a day where people are describing their doom scrolling as maybe more difficult to process, maybe more more tough to wrap their mind around than at any other time. Of course, there's a lot going on here at home on home soil uh, the government lifting, the federal government lifting the Emergencies Act as debate over that rages on. We'll get to that in uh, 10, 15 minutes, uh, of course, down the show. And there's a lot of other stuff happening here. Alberta's budget drops today. That's big for Western Canada. It sends a message to the rest of the country about Alberta's economic reality, recovery, the price of oil, et cetera. But everybody's talking right now about Russia's attack on Ukraine, uh, a military attack launched yesterday by Air land and sea of course the international community beginning to respond and we're going to take you through what those responses look like and what they mean most importantly what does this mean for the people fleeing Ukraine right now for Poland and who knows where else this is an international crisis of course and it's one that we will continue to follow as it develops this show you know presented by our friends at Bitcoin well they're the ones that are driving this conversation every single day Now, talk about the Emergencies Act had people paying attention to government power over funding, over banking, uh, government interest in cryptocurrencies, including those custodial cryptocurrencies, you know, those setups where, well, if you don't know what I'm talking about and, and I've just learned myself, if you want to know what the implications could be about this financial sovereignty and everything else that people are starting to buzz about right now, I'd recommend asking those questions to real live humans. At Bitcoin Well, you can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com.
1: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: It was just yesterday we had two experts on Ukraine and on Eastern European diplomacy and on the history of that region, including Russia, of course, the Soviet Union before that on this show. And I asked is war inevitable in this region and the answer was quick yes and it was just hours later that explosions were heard across ukraine in in kiev and odessa and other major cities as russian president vladimir putin announced officially a military operation in ukraine this is a multi-pronged invasion uh, that saw Russian forces invade Ukraine from the east and the north and the south. Now, this is obviously a developing story. There's word right now that Russian helicopters are doing what they can to take over major airports across Ukraine. And this invasion continues. So what does this mean for the people there? There are reports, uh, casualties, uh, speculation right now, but it's been announced that dozens of Ukraine soldiers have been killed to this point, And thousands upon thousands of ukrainians of everyday people fleeing their homes in the first hours after this invasion began uh crossing into poland that's the the closest point uh possible for an area that's expected to see up to a million refugees and if you're watching us live on youtube right now you can see some of these images out of kiev and other major ukrainian cities traffic absolutely gridlocked as people are fleeing this invasion. Now, Canada's prime minister, Justin Trudeau, to this point, we're talking to you at 1035 Eastern time. It's 835 Mountain condemning Russia's attack on Ukraine and calling on Russian President Vladimir Putin to withdraw all military military forces from the country uh, says that Russia's actions will be met with severe consequences. And what does that mean? There's some rumbling that quick and effective uh, cut of economic ties from the European Union and from NATO nations, uh, including energy. Uh, which could mean uh, fuel rations or could have other short-term implications for for people around the world could be the quickest way to bring Russia to its knees. We heard speculation and opinion yesterday from one of our experts. Russia is not a superpower. It it, it is the... Sam, what was the word that they used? Did they say that it was like the The, the remnants remnants of a superpower? The remnants of a superpower. And there's been suggestions that the Russian economy could be brought to its knees, which could make this war more costly than what Vladimir Putin could have afford announcements on that to come but Canada's official position potentially most clear uh, in a statement from Canada's ambassador to the UN this was Bob Ray at the UN Security Council this was uh, just hours ago this is not an option this is not something that say well if you'd like to do this this perhaps you'd like to consider doing it this way we're not asking any nation state any member state to do us a favor we're asking them to follow the rules and to follow the law follow the rules and follow the law Uh, we're not asking that's uh, Canada's ambassador to the UN that's Bob Ray now of course there are are, are different uh, takes on this and different angles obviously Uh, And I just mentioned economic sanctions and I just mentioned energy. And of course, if if Russia loses uh, oil revenue, that's a big deal for a country that doesn't exactly have the most diversified economy. Alberta's premier will certainly be talking about energy markets today. Alberta's budget, of course, expected to be one that could be balanced or could even show a surplus within the next couple of years, depending on the politics of it. But energy factors in. And the fact of the matter is, oil around the world is a key talking point when it comes to conflict. Alberta's Premier Jason Kenney, in statements yesterday, had this to say.
2: President Biden, a year ago, arbitrarily and retroactively retroactively vetoed the Keystone XL pipeline that would have delivered over 800,000 barrels a day of responsibly produced oil to to help fuel the American economy. Today, the United States imports over 800,000 barrels a day of oil from Vladimir Putin's Russia, uh, enriching the Russian treasury to finance Putin's aggression. This makes no sense as a matter of national security or of energy security. And so I call on Prime Minister Trudeau to pick up the phone and call the president and say it is time to move away from uh, c- consuming from financing russian aggression through these massive energy imports
0: I'm keeping an eye on our live chat here on youtube I, I see a take from erica here who says well listen economic sanctions are flaccid you know it's like if your kids in the driveway smashing your car with a baseball bat you tell him if he keeps doing that he won't get his allowance that from erica interesting take on that others of course uh, some of you are are saying listen my family is Ukrainian. i am Ukrainian. we have family in the region our thoughts are with you we always want to hear from you by the way just a reminder a quick reminder talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get in touch with us anytime gina says what's going on in ukraine makes this convoy look pathetic (laughs) we're going to be talking about uh, the federal government lifting the emergencies act in just a moment a lot of people i've seen some of the chatter online on social media saying boy isn't this a perspective Check here. I'm not sure it serves us well to start comparing the two scenarios. They're obviously apples and oranges, but an emergency or a threat to democracy or the stability of a government or the safety of a nation. Boy, is this ever a wake up call for Canadians, isn't it now on that economic front on the sanctions front during an emergency summit today EU leaders obviously hours ahead of us announced that they will impose new sanctions on Russia freezing its assets halting its banks access to European financial markets and targeting what are described as Kremlin interests over its quote barbaric attack on on ukraine this per senior officials now keep in mind for perspective oil prices this morning we're talking to you thursday morning obviously broke through uh, the hundred dollar mark us brent crude up eight and a half percent that's a 52 week high that's the highest that it's been all year all of this context matters ukraine's president Zelensky calling this morning for blood donations how's that for another perspective check and then there's 45 everybody's Talking this morning about what Donald Trump had to say about this. Can you imagine what the scenario might be if Trump was still in the White House as Russia moved like this? The former president on Tuesday uh, describing Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine in an interview, a radio interview with a show called The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show as genius and savvy. Have a listen to this.
2: I said, This is genius. Putin declares
0: a big portion. Of the Ukraine, of Ukraine. Putin declares
2: it as independent. Oh, that's wonderful. So Putin is now saying it's independent, a large section of Ukraine. I said, How smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. That's the strongest
0: peace force. We could use that on our southern border. That's the strongest peace force I've ever seen. There were more army tanks than I've ever seen. They're going to keep peace all right. I guess what I take from that is that as bad as this is, it could be worse if he was still president. Like, I'm not sure if you had Donald Trump and maybe he would have at least one sane advisor in the Oval Office that would be saying, Mr. President, you cannot say savvy and genius at this point. But I do feel like the world dodged a bullet, Sam, with Trump out of there.
3: It's like, really, really, this is the yardstick
4: we measure leadership against now is is whether or not the reality TV buffoon that used to be there, like... uh, he would have attacked back. He would have thrown nukes at them. He would have got his buddies in North Korea to come help out. I don't know what he would have done. Roll the dice. That's how you would have
0: known what what Trump would have done. But like, let's be honest. Right now, the world is going to be looking. Obviously, there, there will be NATO implications here and involvement here already is to a certain degree, but people will be looking to the United States to be one of the stable players throughout this. Right. That's the biggest hammer that can swing on the global stage right now. So what, what does this mean, generally speaking? And of course, as episodes of Real Talk. As this story develops, we'll be keeping you in the know. So you're always up to speed. Ukraine's foreign minister calling for severe sanctions on Russia. Now, obviously, nearby Lithuania has declared a state of emergency immediately following that invasion. Uh, France uh, says uh, Leader Macron will respond without weakness to what they're describing as Russia's act of war on the sporting front. I mean, the Champions League final has been moved from St. Petersburg uh, in wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Tonight, two Russian superstars in the National Hockey League will face off as Alex Ovechkin's Washington Capitals play Artemi Panarin's New York Rangers. Panarin has been on the record and some have said has paid a price for being publicly very critical of Vladimir Putin. Meantime, The great eight, as they call him, uh, perhaps soon to be the National Hockey League's all time goal scoring leader, could be in the next few years. Alex Ovechkin, surefire Hall of Famer, has been very friendly and has aligned himself with Vladimir Putin. It's not the most important story to follow, but it's an interesting one. As we say, Real Talk covers news, politics and pop culture, real life. Follow the developments from sports journalists that are debating right now on Twitter whether or not alex ovechkin and for that matter artemi panarin or evgeny kuznetsov or for that matter andrei vasilevsky or any of the other russian stars in the national hockey league athletes pop culture stars are they obligated to comment on this do their political alignments matter should they be considered to be politically credible that's an interesting one i'm keeping an eye on china has rejected calling russia's move an invasion urging citizens in ukraine to just stay home People are keeping an eye, of course, on the stock markets. Russian exposed European stocks taking big hits today for obvious reasons. And and the UK, Germany and other G7 nations vowing massive sanctions against Russia. So NATO says it will beef up its eastern flank. And in days to come, we'll see what that means, as we can see, of course, in live monitors here in our studio that these attacks and, you know, I'm sure that you're watching at home. This is just one of those days. Uh, The aggression continues. uh, Ukraine declaring martial law as cities are reportedly suffering barrages of artillery and missile strikes. We will follow this story. I'm eager to hear where you're at on this. Uh, You know, I mean, many of you are saying, you know, we got to remember the importance here of, of what it means to be global citizens, what it means to be global influencers, in a sense, the nations that have the power to intervene in situations like this must do so. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can get us. We'll bring our conversation closer to home in just a minute. I want to remind you right now that Athabasca University is Canada's online university. You know something like this a scenario like this maybe you're going i don't know a lot about you know geopolitical landscapes or i'd like to learn a little bit more about the history of eastern europe what do i actually know about the formation of nato or the united nations what's the difference how does it all play out maybe political science or maybe sociology is your calling Athabasca university offers it all and the best part about it is that their world class accredited programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You can learn more at AthabascaU.ca. We also wanted to talk to you about Park Power's deal. Right now, the promo code is back at ParkPower.ca. You know, you can get internet, electricity, and natural gas from Park Power. It's even better than just locking in, right? I mean, right now, a lot of people that have been on these variable rates are getting a look at their utility bills through these cold snaps and I saw one gal say hers was low 400s. It was 900 this month, more than double. Park Power says it's time to get off that regulated rate option and check out their fixed rates. While you're online at parkpower.ca comparing those rates, make sure you use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. When you sign up, it'll get you $70 off your first bill. No strings attached. Well, Seems like it wasn't around for long. The Emergencies Act, invoked by the federal government, the leadership, of course, of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for the first time since it was established in 1988, passed in the House, was on its way to the Senate after MPs said yes, the liberals seeing support from the NDP to try to bring. This country back under control after border and bridge blockades, after the occupation of downtown Ottawa, the Emergencies Act was in front of the Senate and all of a sudden it was lifted. The prime minister yesterday after we went off air revoking the use of of the Emergencies Act, the powerful legislative tool that was deployed, of course, in response to those protests that we saw. Now, we were going to be having this conversation regardless whether or not the Emergencies Act was an appropriate tool to leverage. Well, now the conversation evolves to whether or not it was appropriate to invoke it in the first place, whether or not it was effective, and whether or not it was an appropriate time to lift it Uh, dr wayne mckay is professor emeritus at the schulich school of law at dalhousie university in beautiful halifax inducted into the order of canada for his work around constitutional law and other legal issues he taught constitutional and public law for almost 40 years know uh, Claire Lazar a doctor a professor of politics in the graduate school of public and international affairs at the University of Ottawa the author of uh, two books including states of emergency and literal liberal democracies and out of joint power crisis and the rhetoric of time those published by Cambridge and Yale University Press respectively uh, to the both of you thank you for being here Dr Lazar why don't, why don't we start with you was it an appropriate Time was an appropriate circumstance for the prime minister to invoke the Emergencies Act in the first place. And how do you assess lifting it yesterday?
5: Well, first of all, I think it's important that we keep in mind that uh, with emergencies, it's often not a, 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 an objective answer to the question of whether something constitutes an emergency. Sometimes it's very clear. So the existing uh, mechanisms for uh, maintaining public safety simply can't manage the, the situation and we have to call on uh, uh, extra powers. But often it's a little fuzzy. And so it, it is entirely appropriate that we would uh, uh, sort of continually revisit whether uh, whether the legislation was rightly invoked or not, and that's exactly what we saw with the parliamentary debate, then with the debate moving into the Senate, uh, and now we'll see uh, you know further discussion in, in, in as the inquiry gets going. Uh, shortly. And then, of course, moving along into the annals of history. uh, And and so we may make different evaluations at different times. Certainly, that's what happened with the previous legislation, the War Measures Act, when Trudeau invoked it in 1970. Uh, There was huge public support at the time. And then over the course of time, uh, it came to be a black mark on uh, the senior Trudeau's record. Now, with respect to whether it was the right time to lift that legislation, um, I'm very pleased to see that it was lifted, because we do want Uh, 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 states of emergency only to be in effect as long as it's strictly uh, necessary and the powers to be used to be strictly proportionate. And so if the police are now confident that they can manage the situation uh, with existing powers, then yes, it's absolutely the right time uh, uh, to to lift those measures. I think there's some political aspects in play as well, but uh, I'll I'll, I'll be quiet now and see if uh, Professor McKay wants to maybe step (laughs) (laughs) up.
0: Well, definitely don't be quiet because we're coming right back to you in just a second. But Dr. (laughs) McKay, we do want to hear your voice. Welcome to the show. Can I just say also, I think if if the three of us were having coffee, if we were taking off our coats and sitting down and having coffee, we probably would have started the conversation a little bit different wouldn't we we would have noted what's happening in Russia we wouldn't noted. we probably would have counted our blessings a little bit in Canada we would comment on what what and, and I do not mean to diminish the seriousness of the Ottawa occupation or of the convoy or of the border blockade or anything like that but boy is this ever a perspective check um Dr. Lazar makes a really good point Uh, dr mckay when, when she you know reminds us about the war measures act and pierre elliott trudeau and it was said on this show just yesterday you wonder if there might be as much attention around this had it not been a second prime minister named trudeau the first one to invoke the emergencies act where are the parallels here how do you how do you sort out the differences how are you processing the two trudeaus invoking these two different acts Well, uh,
6: first of all, that is a very interesting element to this, the two Trudeaus in in history and having that parallel for sure. Uh, Secondly, I certainly support your uh, perspective point that in light of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, this is an important issue, but it's uh, not the, the biggest. Uh, Anyway, on the two Trudeau point, of course, uh, Trudeau the Elder, Pierre Trudeau, was both the main author of the Charter of Rights, but then with the War Measures Act, one uh, who, uh, as Nomi quite rightly said, has sort of now got a bit of a black mark in that regard. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the case with uh, the Justin Trudeau situation. Uh, On the timing of this, I agree that this is probably a good time to end it if they feel that they can handle it otherwise because that is the definition of how the emergency should work. It should only work when you need it and it can't be handled by regular laws. So I think that's important. But I, I think in some ways uh, it's it's pretty big. Uh, uh, it has those parallels but it has some pretty big contrasts as well. Uh, a lot of people have gone back and look at the, looked at the famous just watch me uh, news clip with uh, Pierre Trudeau, And there was no just watch me moment with Justin. In fact, somewhat the opposite in the terms of being almost semi-apologetic. We're only going to use it as long as we have to. It's going to be temperate. It's going to be proportionate. It's going to be uh, regionally and, and geographically targeted. And I think to be fair, he kind of followed through on that. So, there was a difference in style and how they did it. And there's a big difference between the War Measures Act and the Emergency Act as well.
0: Now, Dr. Lazar, I can see you nodding your head to that. Before we get to you, let's let's hear from the prime minister. This is what Justin Trudeau had to say uh, just yesterday.
4: And today, after careful consideration, we're ready to confirm that the situation is no longer an
2: emergency. Therefore, the federal government will be ending the use of the Emergencies Act. We are confident
4: that existing laws and bylaws are now sufficient to keep people safe. Of course, we'll continue to be there to support
0: provincial and local authorities if and when needed. Nomi, your take on that?
5: Well, I I mean, I I think that one thing which is particularly encouraging is the fact that the provincial emergency was lifted at the same time. And so there we get a sense, you know, because we have Tories at the, uh, provincial level and liberals at the federal level that uh, that this is not partisan, that there is agreement across levels of government that the police can handle the situation. And I think there is also, you know, it is also important to pay attention to the political element. So of course we want these things not to be political, but they can't help but be. And we, as Trudeau has made decisions, Uh, not just Trudeau, but from the Ottawa police on on up, uh, one serious uh, uh, consideration has been how this would be, uh, what the spin would be on the other side uh, you know how this would be perceived and then of course as it sort of blew up into a, a global event, then also how, how Canada would be perceived. So uh, uh, the the you know every move might you know might create martyrs, might create a situation that, that uh, could spin out of control. Uh, and, and so the decision to to and so beyond beyond the fact that it's the right thing to do, it's also uh, you know a politically strategic thing to do to hand those powers back uh, as, as soon as possible to, to kind of deflate the, the, uh, uh, you know, this rhetoric around dictatorship that has begun to fly around.
0: I thought it was, it it was interesting for me to, to, uh, just observe how John and Jill Q public were understanding the implications of the emergencies act talking about how people were having their bank accounts frozen and people were losing access and then i said well well, people could but not not necessarily people are and there were somewhat what i think have been deemed to be <clears throat> inaccurate or misleading tweets from some politicians including mark straw member of parliament a conservative member of parliament out of bc who claimed that one of his constituents in chilliwack had made it a $20 or a $50 donation, had her accounts frozen, and there seemed to be some cynicism around that. An RCMP document accidentally leaked to a journalist showed that the RCMP had found no validity to that claim. MP Strahl, meantime, says he's, he's not going to betray her privacy by sharing any further details, which I think we all recognize to be, pardon my French, bullshit. But it did not help public consumption and then digestion and understanding of what this actually meant, The general public, I think, thought that this was much more serious or far much more of an overreach than it actually was. Uh, Dr. McKay, is that a fair statement, or am I sort of rose-colored glasses viewing this thing?
6: No, I think that's a very fair statement. And I saw the same uh, exchange around uh, Mr. MP Strahl and so on. And uh, I think it goes back to the fact that while there are parallels between the War Measures Act and the Emergency Act, they are quite different. There's a lot of guaranteed protections in the Emergency Act, including the ongoing application of the Charter, the Bill of Rights, international commitments, none of which were in the War Measures Act. And much broader powers in the War Measures Act and all the accountability and scrutiny that is still going on to some extent in Parliament with the Emergency Act, none of that in the War Measures. So it's built right into the actual act itself. But in addition, not surprisingly, and as Naomi said earlier as well, hard to keep politics out of this. There's a bit of politicking about what's really happening when in fact, I believe the uh, Minister of Safety early on on this uh, contributions question said, we're not interested in somebody making small donations and looking into that. We're interested in looking at the platforms. We're interested in looking at money that's directly financing illegal activity. That's what we're looking for. Now, that's not a total answer. The act is probably broad enough that they might have done that, but they said they were not going to do it. And I don't think they did do it. And the fact that they did exit as quickly as they have also kind of supports that, that it was a fairly surgically targeted use of the Emergency Act, which still doesn't mean it's minor, but it's better than a kind of overreach, which so many Uh, other politicians are saying it is.
0: Wayne, I'm so glad that you brought up foreign funding and Dr. Lazar, I'm going to hand the conch right to you, I promise, because you know what gets a lot of people's hackles up. Um, And I'm coming to you, as you know, from Western Canada. We're talking to you from Alberta. Alberta spent about four and a half million dollars on what we call the Allen inquiry, right? It was an inquiry. I mean, it was a bullying tactic to try to scare environmentalists is what it was, but they wanted to identify foreign funding sources that would act against Alberta oil. And I I see a whole bunch of foreign funding coming in to undermine Canada's democracy. And I do not see those same politicians crying foul. As a matter of fact, I see those same politicians saying they're going to challenge the Emergencies Act in court. Uh, how significant is this foreign funding coming in to undermine Canada's democracy?
5: Well, well I think that that's or actually, Professor McKay, why don't you take that one? Because well, either
0: either way,
6: but I, I certainly w- I would support that point, that I think that that's one of the really alarming things and perhaps one of the better justifications for invoking the Emergency Act in this situation is the fact that there is significant foreign funding, millions, tens of millions of dollars, and uh, at least more than 50% on both the GoFundMe and Give, Send, Go funds. And that's something that we should be very concerned about as Canadians. And in particular, when you have people also talking about overthrowing the government and those kind of things. So I think that was a really important element. And Naomi, you, you, you may or may not share that.
5: Um, I, I do, uh, generally speaking, and I, I do think that as the world becomes smaller in various ways, that we need to have conversations about uh, you know foreign foreign influence of, of various kinds, including funding. Uh, two two points that that are worth noting with respect to uh, the financial orders under the Emergencies Act, which I think we're sort of skirted over a little bit, uh, and. Uh, One is that because the Emergencies Act states explicitly uh, in the preamble that it is to work together with the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, not just with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, it would not have been possible for, um, for somebody's account to have been frozen, except in error, if that person, if this sort of mythical Brianne had given money before the Emergencies Act had come into force because the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights states that even, and it's very explicit about this, even under a state of emergency, you cannot make retroactive laws. So if someone committed or did an action before it became criminal, it uh, um, it's not criminal even once that uh, that, the orders came down. So that's one point that I think is really important to to have out there uh you know as we look at how these these orders were used another important point is that there was some uh, fuzziness, and we'll want to see this play out in the inquiry afterward around what what the purpose of those financial orders was. So on the one hand, the government was saying, "Oh, we want to follow the money. Uh, we're concerned about the foreign funding, etc." And I think those are really valid concerns, and we want to we want to see how that plays out. But on the other hand, of course, there's this deterrent aspect. So to me, one of the most compelling arguments for uh, for the use of the Act. Is that even if and we you know this will come out in the wash, uh, even if it was not the you know the only way uh, to to achieve these ends, it might have been the safest way. Which is to say, if we had not used this strong deterrent, you know, don't give money, don't come to Ottawa. Um, because your account might be frozen. Uh, If we had not used this deterrent, we probably would have had a a lot more people joining up. Uh, We would have had fewer people leaving. And the more people that were present here in Ottawa, I'm sitting in central Ottawa right now, uh, uh, the, the more likely it would have been that somebody would have got hurt or that more people would have got hurt. So so this is also a conversation we're, we're going to have to have. Maybe maybe there were just you know powers available to the police that didn't get used. And again, I hope that comes out in the wash. But this financial power, uh, even if not strictly necessary, even if not the only way, it might be that it was the safest way. Mm. And that's something that we should take into account.
0: Well, and I think that that's such a great point, Nomi, like the safest way, because there's a lot of... very 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 healthy and very legitimate questions around whether or not this could have been brought under control or managed without invoking the Emergencies Act. It's a fair question for sure. Um, I feel like I don't know if the two of you have ever made meatballs, but you know, like a lot goes in and you get like your eggs and your onions and you get your breadcrumbs or your panko and you get your pork and your beef. And I, so I'm just going to do these like meatball questions at the end because we, we, we've got to get you back to your 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 callings and your your jobs and your your obligations today. And, and we've got a LaBrook, a big rock star hanging out in our green room right now. We got to move. So I got all these observations. We could talk for an hour You know, I want to ask you if you think that it's fair that people will say, well, this was unnecessary. Police could have got a handle on this. And and I want to ask you if you think that maybe uh, Canada's landscape has changed a little bit or if this alters the psyche of Canadians having seen this Emergencies Act imposed and it's got more people thinking about. I mean, there's a cryptocurrency angle. There's a banking angle. There's all these other angles, people talking about how they'd like to see protests managed. And then, of course, there's the prime minister's assertion as well that this is no longer An emergency. But as far as I can tell, I mean, we're still hearing that there are a whole bunch of truckers and people camped out ready to convoy again. There's one coming up from La Jolla, California, that says it's going to be in Washington, D.C. by March 6th. The story's not over. And the angst is far from subdued, I don't think. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment to make that most people that were pretty upset are still pretty upset. That's kind of a Western state of being when it comes to perspective on Ottawa here. So I know I'm throwing a ton at you. So maybe, maybe uh, Dr. McKay, maybe we'll serve the meatball up to you first. Where do you want to take the bite on it? Where do you want to dig into it?
6: Well, I think I'll add a little ketchup or something. Not a boy. Maybe, but (laughs) uh, there's lots of tough questions in there, but I, I think it is a big deal even though it was a short time, because you do only want to invoke the Emergency Act as a last resort, and there it's probably fair that there will be an ongoing debate about that. I personally think given the si- situation, which I think is relatively unique, and this is important, not only did you have the public order I- disorder in Ottawa, but also earlier the bridges and so on, but it's all in the context of COVID, which is itself a global pandemic. So in that sense, I d- I'm not as concerned that this is really a precedent that necessarily changes things for the future. And secondly, to the extent that it is, it does at least suggest that there can be a fairly limited and targeted use and you don't have to go overboard in how you apply it. For example, outside of Ontario, Uh, You wouldn't have even known there was an emergency as far as any action or impact, really. So I think those are all important. It will be a political and legal debate for some time, but I don't think it significantly changes the landscape. And in some ways, I think it's really important that we did respond to what was in many ways quite an alarming situation in Ottawa. Probably it shouldn't have ever got that far. And uh, Prime Minister Trudeau himself may be partly responsible for that, but it did. And we had to do something. And it seemed to be, at the moment, fairly successful. Not necessarily over, as you say, Ryan, there's other possibilities out there, but at least better.
0: Dr. Lazar, uh, last word to you.
5: All right. uh, So, uh, first of all, just to make sure that your listeners keep in mind that that a, uh, a, a situation, a, a dangerous situation, isn't necessarily an emergency. So as you say, we're not getting out of this anytime soon. Uh, this is just the beginning, I think, of, of certain aspects of new kinds of politics, and we're going to need new kinds of tools to deal with them. But we only want to use that Emergencies Act uh, in, in situations which are really an emergency. And the, and the second point I want to make, or the last point I want to make, is that as we're thinking about precedence, Uh, The other thing. So, yes, using the act, uh, you know, it was on the books and now we've used it. And so people have been worrying that that's a precedent. But the other thing that is now a precedent is that those powers were put down really, really fast. Uh, and so, you know, as someone who studied uh, the history of emergency powers across lots of jurisdictions, you know, back before the Roman Republic, it, it did make me think of, you know, the kinds of informal constraints that we put on on uh, emergency action, uh, one of which is just the honor of the person who has the power. So back in Rome, uh, there was, uh, you know, in 458 BCE, there was Cincinnatus who, you know, was given dictatorial power and he solved the crisis and he put the power down. And then for the next. Now- 400 years, he was held up as a hero for having done that. And we want to not that I'm saying, you know, Trudeau is a big giant hero or whatever, but we want that informal constraint, that idea that it's a matter of civic virtue, that if you have to use this power, you put it down as fast as you can. So let's hope that also sets a precedent.
0: Absolutely excellent analysis from Dr. Nomi Claire Lazar out of the University of Ottawa, where she's a professor of politics in the grad school there of public and international affairs. And Dr. A. Wayne McKay, Professor Emeritus at the Schulich School of Law at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, of course, uh, inducted into the Order of Canada for his excellent work. We knew that the two of you were going to be good, but thanks for making this sort of understandable, you know what I mean, accessible uh, to those of us that aren't big deals like you. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Yeah, you got it. You can check out, by the way, Dr. Lazar's books, States of Emergency and Liberal Democracies with Cambridge University Press and Out of Joint, Power Crisis and the Rhetoric of Time with Yale University Press. And uh, I have hosted this show long enough to know that if I make an impromptu comment about the formation or the composition of meatballs, that if I drop into the YouTube live chat, there will be a healthy debate on the best way to make meatballs. And that's exactly what's happening as well. The Watcher says that you want to make your meatballs with no crust white breadcrumbs. 100% others of you were shocked like amber shocked to hear me talking about mixing pork into meatballs you have to do that amber absolutely 100% Uh, but there are different ways to integrate that of course You know, some are saying you got to, you know, obviously focus on the texture of the meatball and there are different ways to accomplish that excellent texture. Some of you are talking about the different ethnicities that factor in here. You know, for example, would, would maybe an Italian meatball look a little bit different than a Swedish meatball? implications there with regards to their composition so real talkers you keep this stuff going and if you're ever catching this show i know a lot of you get it on the podcast but if you're ever watching us on youtube make sure you keep an eye on that those comments you even if you're watching later you can see where real talkers were at sometimes they're focused and sometimes the live chat is just like in an entirely different place you know we'll pop in and i don't know sam sarah you both got to keep an eye on it um hoyles we've seen we've seen that live chat in some circumstances get to a point where i'm not even sure that we're watching the same show so we have a lot of fun and we're glad that people are along for the ride we'll check in with sarah just a little bit uh coming up and and we've got ayla brooks standing by right now but the show does not go on without mentions of our incredible sponsors and i wanted to put these three together because these are three of our sponsors that all have blogs on their websites with really great learning opportunities. That's kind of the whole point of Real Talk. We always want to make sure that we're in the know, that we understand what's going on with issues around us. And that can include matters like energy. What about kubienergy.ca? You know, they have a blog section on their website, uh, solar information, detailed information, and vetted articles on solar energy systems, like how to install solar panel systems and 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 some of the regional implications here, you know, Kubi operates in Alberta and B.C. What about the Canada Greener Homes Grant that could make your solar install a whole lot more affordable? There's the Clean Energy Improvement Program. If you live in our home city of Edmonton, the Edmonton Solar Power Rebate. Did you know these exist? You can read about all of them on the blog at KubyEnergy.ca. I always enjoy checking out the blog page at granddog.ca as well. Grand Dog Essentials, quality raw food. On their blog, how to properly thaw and store raw dog food. We had to figure that out ourselves. The best way to manage Moses and Monroe's food. You can't have it all thawed out all the time for obvious reasons. What about probiotics or prebiotics? Why are they so essential for your dog's health? You can learn more about yeast symptoms and food allergies in dogs and even what your dog's poop is telling you. It's a good indicator of your dog's health. You can read out more at the blog page at granddog.ca. And of course, our wine of the month is Kendall Jackson. You know it. It's one of the most prominent, celebrated, and popular wine brands in the world. At kj.com, you can check out their blog for some great recipe ideas, including mushrooms three ways, duck breast with char eggplant even how to cook crab and of course they've got all of the wine pairings right there make sure you ask for Kendall Jackson wherever you buy fine wines and you make sure you let them know that you heard about Kendall Jackson on Real Talk Well, there's a mini documentary that's set to launch. As a matter of fact, it's coming up next Friday, March 4th. And it's about a band and it's about that band's resilient spirit through the course of the pandemic. It tells the story of what a band might do when it's set to launch an album and start touring and then the pandemic hits. It's a band that we're all very fond of here on Real Talk because they have penned and performed our title track. You know this one? Let's roll it sent a bending glow Of course, you know that tune, Lift You Up. It's the title track of Real Talk, and it's one of my favorite tracks on the album, Desolation Sounds by Ayla Brooke and the Sound Men, released on Fallen Tree Records. What a pleasure to welcome, for the very first time in this show's history, the front man, the straw that stirs the drink, Ayla Brooke. Welcome to Real Talk. It's good to see your face.
4: Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, last to co- be here. last couple of years for creators like you, uh, bands and other artists have, have just been difficult to say the least uh take us two years back take us to when you were getting ready to release desolation sounds with like the rest of us no clue what was about to hit planet earth
4: well we uh should have known friday the 13th of march was maybe not a great day to put a record out (laughs) um but you know we were full of hope uh it had been a it'd been a while since we'd put a record together and uh there was a lot of excitement and anticipation um but, you know, then what happened, happened, and it happened to all of us. So, uh, you know, it's just sort of a matter of coping. What what can we do? What's, what is available? What is uh, possible for us to uh, still put some music out into the community and share what we've done? Um, and so, yeah, this documentary sort of shows the little bits and pieces we were able to uh, share with the world in that first year of... Pandemic,
0: lift me up. The story of a band in a pandemic premieres, as we said, on Friday, March fourth. That's next Friday. Friday, Mm -hmm. Uh, people can check out Ayla Brooks' YouTube channel, and it's going to be on NTT Films' Facebook page. It'll go live at seven o'clock. Take us into the story. I mean, obviously, you don't want to ruin the mini doc and you want people to to check it (laughs) out. But but when you get set, when you're releasing an album, Friday, March 13th, 2020, and you're getting set. So obviously, you probably have tour plans, right? You're probably hoping to be rolling out these new tunes in front of packed houses, packed bars and concert venues. So so how did you make that adjustment? Especially Ayla, knowing that, I mean, like the rest of us, I remember thinking this thing was going to last three weeks, maybe two months. I mean, we're into year number two. Almost the end of year number two right now. So how did you make your way through that journey?
4: Uh, haphazardly, yeah, <laughs> uh, seat of our pants kind of sort of situations for the most part. Um, it was as restrictions as restrictions were lifted, and we started to figure out what was acceptable and what was possible and what was safe and what wasn't safe. We'd slowly put things together. So the you know we the first things were front lawn. Sort of shows uh, the odd, you know, the odd show where we set up on a PA on somebody's front lawn and play for the community, which is documented in the film a little bit at our uh, label owner Peter Chapman's front lawn. His uh, neighbors were very kind and let us be raucous one afternoon. Um, you know, bits and pieces just sort of slowly filtered in. There was the odd time we would get to do uh, uh, you know, we take the risk of being in the same room and film a live doc, uh, like a live show or, uh, you know, someone said, Hey, what about the roof of the starlight? And we we're like, what, well, maybe so thus we, uh, get that footage from the top.
0: A great oh, celebrated uh, Edmonton live music venue, Starlight Room. I can't wait to be back in there. Having, I always say to people, "This is my metric when I'll know the pandemic is over and people start spilling beer on me again at concert venues." Ayla, <laughs> was there something? I mean, I would imagine there were many good things that came out of this. Maybe. I mean, is there is there one that immediately comes to mind? A positive, a silver lining out of all the challenges?
4: Uh, I think. I think the realization of. Uh, uh, ourselves and the whole community just sort of how important uh, the connection of, of live gatherings, live music, live theater, of all that stuff really is. I think once we're finally able to get back in public and breathe on each other again with uh, disregard and care uh, <laughs> uh, and, and abandon, um, we'll be really joyful and really happy. Uh, I think it was sort of uh a realization of how strong and important the music community is in this city and in this country. And um, I think just gratefulness in general for Mm -hmm. what what it is we do have.
0: I love that perspective. Um, This is coming up next Friday. As mentioned, Lift Me Up, the story of a band in a pandemic Friday, March 4th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Mm -hmm. It'll go uh, live right at NTT Films, Facebook and YouTube page. Ayla, anything else you want to mention before we let you get back to what you got to do?
4: We are actually uh, getting to be out in public a little bit next month. Well, this is March
0: Uh, 16th, right?
4: March 16th, we're doing the Starlight Show at the Food Bank. It's our uh, Christmas slash solstice show, (laughs) fundraiser for the Food Bank, with uh, our good friend Kimberly McGregor. And then also uh, March 5th, we're playing at uh, City Francophone for the Flying Canoe.
0: Very Festival. cool. Very oh. cool. Uh, people can follow all your social media channels for yes. more updates, of course, uh, and check you out online. The album is Desolation, Desolation Sounds, released uh, by Fallen Tree Records. I don't know if everybody knows this, so I want to say it. I want to put it on the record, Ayla. Uh, you and the band and the label, through our first year, our fledgling first year of doing Real Talk, donated your music uh, yeah. to the show, which we will always appreciate. We hope that it scratched your back a little bit and growing it, but I'll tell you that this show, when I hear that track uh it 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 sends chills up my spine it's your your lyrics drive the ethos of this community and i'll be forever grateful for that i feel a connection to you and i'm looking forward to getting to know you better i can't wait to see this mini doc congratulations on it and thanks for making time for us today
4: very welcome have a great
0: day yeah you bet uh real talkers show them some love that's ayla brooke from ayla brooke and the Soundmen. absolutely love their tunes uh coming up in just a second i want to talk to uh i'm really looking forward to connecting with victoria maxwell a mental health advocate she and i are going to be collaborating together on a special event next week it's the mental health foundation's annual fundraising breakfast victoria's story is a remarkable one that's coming up in 90 seconds i want to tell you about jet set parking right now i'm seeing more and more people are finally to a point where they're ready to go and Play golf somewhere hot. They've had enough of the cold weather, and they've got their booster shots, and they're ready to rock. If that describes you and your family, if you're going to be flying out of Edmonton's international airport, I implore you to go to JetSetParking.com right now and book your airport parking. Book your spot using the promo code Real Talk. You'll be parking at EIA for $7 a day. That's way less than what you're gonna pay without that promo code and without booking ahead. Now you can book 24 hours in advance all the way through till travel to the end of the year, till the end of 2022 at jetsetparking.com. Make sure you use the promo code REALTALK. Now, yeah, I know it is probably cold and snowy unless you're one of those that's joining us in San Diego. We're here from people in Northern California. And we're not going to say you annoy us. We love you and we cherish you. But here, our, our ground's not starting to thaw yet. But that doesn't mean that it's not time to start thinking about landscaping and bringing our outdoor spaces to life mike and his team at eden landscaping on their website we've been kind of digging into the websites today haven't we i want to encourage you to check out their portfolio you can go through and you can see some of the work that they've done stunning stonework natural beauty ultra modern they do it all with 20 years experience and the referrals that tell us that their customers are happy ones you can connect with eden landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca And I've told you how excited I am to be driving this Dodge Ram. It's the Crew Cab, the Longhorn Edition. One of the most beautiful vehicles I've ever driven. Beautifully capable on snowy roads. And of course, it fits everything I need in there, including the dogs on the way to the dog park. You know, at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they've also got the Ram 1500 TRX. This is the one with more horsepower than virtually everything else on planet Earth, with some exceptions. But the TRX, my buddy Cam just picked one up. I said, how is it? And he just smiled. That's the strongest review I think you're going to find. You can get your eyes and even hands on the wheel of a Dodge Ram with Alberta's best selection at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Well, coming up next week, it's going to be March 2nd. I'm looking forward to hosting it. The Mental Health Foundation presents its annual fundraising breakfast. It's a virtual breakfast, and we invite all of you to join. Runs from 7 to 8.30, as mentioned on March 2nd. The keynote speaker, a much sought after international speaker, a performing artist, a workshop leader who uses her personal story of recovery from mental illness to increase awareness about mental health. What a pleasure to welcome Victoria Maxwell to real talk. Thank you for making time for us. This is my first time connecting with you ahead of our event next week. I'm very much looking forward to it. How do you prepare for something like this when, when you're about to get really personal in front of a whole bunch of people?
7: Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, to some degree it's, uh, every time I share my story, it is, um, almost liberating and therapeutic in a way uh, because this is a experience that used to be very uh, shameful for me there's a lot of stigma still around mental illness Um, i went through psychosis bipolar disorder anxiety and so to be able to share my story with people who are really wanting to learn about it and wanting to understand more about it uh, is really i think healing for me and also Uh, It just, um, in some ways, just feels really warm and, and welcoming. So, yeah, that, that's the way that and I think. So that's the perspective that I take. Uh, if I took the other perspective that, you know, nobody wanted to hear then that would be a whole other type of fear that I would have. So that's not what that's not the kind of anxiety you want to have.
0: Well, there's <laughs> there's evidence all, all around, if I call it your career or your personal experience, that people have great interest in what you have to say. And you've certainly made an impact in a lot of people's lives. Uh, you were named one of Canada's top leaders in mental health by the National Center for Addiction and Mental Health Center, honored with the National Dictionary difference makers award Uh, let's go back to you know your 25th year on planet earth you're diagnosed at that point with bipolar disorder anxiety and psychosis what was life like right up to that point when did you when did you go and talk to your doctor what prompted that
7: uh well what happened was i actually didn't talk to my doctor Uh. Uh, which I think is one of the difficulties, is that um, I was struggling with anxiety and very, very deep depression. I was working as an actor at the time. And uh, uh, so there were a lot of uh, financial insecurities that were happening, um, a lot of rejection. But also just there's family history of mental illness in my family as well. One that I knew of, but others that I, I, I didn't. And um, so I think things came to a, a perfect storm in a way where all these stressors, uh, my depression was getting more and more severe, but I wasn't reaching out for help. And uh, at one time I went into a meditation retreat. That was one of sort of my ideas that maybe this would help. Um, and I went into a psychosis, and this obviously is not to say that meditation in any way causes psychosis, um, but there was uh, an accumulation of stressors, and it was just too much for me, and I went into this psychosis, managed to get back home uh, where I was living with my parents at the time, and my dad obviously saw something was wrong. I was sort of saying things that didn't make sense and, uh, seeing things and acting in strange ways. So he managed to get me into the car and drive me to the hospital. And I was involuntarily, um, admitted into the hospital at that time for about six weeks. And that was the first of probably four, uh, stays that I had in the, in the psych ward.
0: There's a, a key word there involuntarily admitted.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just did a, a uh, a webinar about the Mental Health Act with a, a couple of guest experts. And um, there, it can be a very uh, emotional time, not just for the individual, but also for the family members as well. And particularly when a person is an, uh, an adult child where family members don't have a lot of control uh, or say over how a person gets treatment if they do, it's a very controversial if, issue. Uh, But for me, it was really uh, important to um, get some stability uh, back because I was um, not well at the time.
0: You took uh, you you tell people as part of your presentations oftentimes that it took you about five years to accept the diagnoses. How how much of that was stigma related? How much of that was personal or or other factors? And as you look back or reflect on that now, how significant was that five year period for you?
7: It was extremely significant. Hmm. I wish it had been shorter. Um, and it really, it, it was stigma and it was personal. It was uh, what is called internalized stigma. So it was a lot of the stigma that I had, uh, the ideas that I had of what it meant to be a person with a mental illness. Um, I had only my reference point really was only um, sort of newspapers that I had read where it was really sensationalized um, uh, stories or, you know, people who had fallen through the cracks. And um, I was. Really afraid of what that could mean uh, for me, and and also at the time when I was in uh, the meditation in the psychosis, I had both sort of personally profound experiences within that psychosis that were meaningful to me, and obviously very um, extremely sort of uh, what they call florid psychosis. So things that obviously weren't part of reality, and it took a long time to find the right psychiatrist who really could listen to my whole story and help me feel supported so that I felt like I could move forward and and really be proactive in my um, journey of sort of getting to wellness again.
0: You have an ongoing series on, uh, we were talking about blogs earlier, Psychology Today, the blog yeah. Crazy for Life. Yeah. And uh, anybody that checks it out knows that you you use oftentimes a little, your humor can be a bit jarring and, yes. and a little yes. bit irreverent. Do, you ever, do, yeah. do people ever accuse you of sort of making light of it or making fun of it or being insensitive? I mean, it's your own personal perspective. Yeah,
7: It's true. It's true. I sort of, I, and you know, it's funny as, as um, mental illness and mental health has gotten more on the radar Uh, it's become more clear that I need to be uh, even more, not just me, but it's more important not to be flippant about it. Um, But I also go by the the idea that if I've gone through a mental illness, I can choose whether to make light of it myself. It's usually self-deprecating humor. Um, If you don't have a mental illness, it's totally off basis. Uh, and uh, it's sort of like, you know, if you're Italian, you can make jokes about being Italian. If you're not, no, no. Um, but I have, I have gotten, and I certainly, and in no way is the humor that I use meant to um, minimize or dismiss other people's pain along the journey of recovery. Um, it's a real, it's a tool for me. I think humor is a tool for a lot of us sometimes. Um, and especially when we've gone through these very um, adverse times, um, sometimes humor is what um, certainly has for me, pulled me through. Um, so that is, that's one way. And also I think it shakes things up and people either sort of, you know, uh, get, like you said, stirred up or they start to feel more comfortable because they know they can ask me any question and it's, and, uh, it's not off, off topic or anything like that.
0: I've had, uh, as does everybody. Um, loved ones, people close to me that, by the way, can I ask you just a straight up question? You, you you, talk about mental health and mental illness in the same sentence. Is there a preferred phrase or is there a difference between them or like what goes into, you know, whether you say someone's living with mental illness or somebody is living with a mental health challenge or how do you how do you pick your words?
7: I, I mean, I think it's a personal choice. I mean, mental illness, I think, honestly, has more stigma to it. A mental health condition or uh, mental health issues. I mean, I think the biggest thing to know is that we all have mental health to varying degrees yeah. uh, from excellent to poor. Um, so that sort of brings us together. Um, and mental illness is, you know, a formal clinical diagnosis of uh whether it's depression or schizophrenia or obsessive compulsive disorder or there's a whole array of them
0: as we've well. We've t- we've had so many conversations over the years on on uh with courageous people like you sharing their stories and it's been interesting to hear especially with first responders it seems uh whether it's soldiers, firefighters, even athletes uh that are right. dealing with CTE or concussion related issues, the mental health issues that come with that, some some obviously painkiller dependencies or we can talk about meds. Um but it's been enlightening for me to hear multiple people say that would allow them to, to wrestle with and obviously ultimately pin down their own personal stigma was understanding it to be less about their mental illness and more about a mental health injury, which uh, was a yeah. really interesting yeah. insight, right? They could process yeah. that they had become injured mentally yeah. or with regards to their mental health as a result of something and they preferred that. They preferred the phrasing of that, same as blowing out your knee or blowing out your shoulder.
7: Yeah, well, and for me, mental health condition uh, feels more in line with for myself, um, mental illness um, sort of seems like it's a static kind of state, um, and it's not. Um, I mean, I still may have episodes of uh, anxiety uh, or depression and things like that, but um, I go back to sort of feeling well, uh, again. So, yeah, I, I think it, and I think depending on where, how it comes, like for me, it didn't necessarily come from one, uh, event. I mean, there was trauma in my background, so that really influenced it. Um, and there's many people, like I said, that have mental illness in my family. So, um, there's a whole, whole raft of factors that sort of influence whether someone has a a mental health condition or a mental health injury.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We're talking to Victoria Maxwell, who's going to be the keynote speaker uh, at the Mental Health Foundation's annual fundraising breakfast coming up March 2nd. I'm honored to be hosting it. You can find tickets to the virtual event at mentalhealthfoundation.ca. Uh, Jill on our live chat says, we need to hear more stories about people thriving with mental illness, not just stories that end sadly. You know, yeah. more people yeah. live fulfilling lives uh, with mental illness than we think. Um, and what about this? I mean, this is a courageous comment from Stelly on our chat who says, I was taken to Alberta Hospital without my consent when I was 19 years old. I thought I was going to the University of Alberta and it was incredible incredibly traumatizing uh, Victoria for people listening on the podcast, they wouldn't have seen your eyes just drop there. I can tell yeah. that that resonated with you how How can someone best support a loved one or a person they care about who's struggling with a, a mental health issue but maybe isn't ready or doesn't want help yet?
7: Yeah, that's the question that I get most often. Um, and for me, it's really about continuing or building that rapport and trust with the person. Um, for me, what was really important, I was, I felt very estranged from my parents when I was first diagnosed. So that was very difficult both for them and myself. Um, but what I did sort of subconsciously know, I think, but they continued to try to make contact. And um, they did everything they could to understand what I was going through. So they got uh, as educated as they could. Um, and they just, met, and what I really knew is that. Um, They were eventually going to be my soft place to fall because they were, they really had my back and they um, were as uh, non judgmental as possible. So it would, I I think, I mean, I wish there was an easy answer. I wish that I could say if you just did A, B, and C, someone would have insight and go, oh, of course I need help. Um, And so I like to say it's a marathon, not a sprint. um, And you just never know where that window of opportunity is going to happen. Um, So, for me, it was really connecting with me also just outside of the concern they had uh, about uh, my mental health and my mental illness. Um, So friends who just wanted to hang out with me um, made a big, big difference. Um, And then mentioning concerns and one of the other things is what are the goals that I have that might be impacted by my mental health? So instead of saying, please go get treatment, take some medication. Do you, you know, are you wanting to uh, have a bigger circle of friends or um, have a job uh, on a more regular basis? And so sometimes going through the back door that way can help.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing you again in just a few Thank days. Uh, yes, me yeah, too. yeah, it's going to be a, a powerful event. I know yeah. uh, it's March 2nd. That's uh, next Wednesday. And yep. uh, we're going to be uh, gathering, of course, virtually maybe one of these days. Victoria will be able to do this live and in person. Oh, my
4: gosh. that would be house. So
0: great. <laughs> Hey, how about, So you've you've been speaking for a while. You've been doing this for a while. How much do you miss a full room?
7: Oh gosh, you you don't know. I mean, I can still feel and connect with people, you know, sort of like, I don't know, energetically or something. You know, sense the engagement. But there's nothing like a live audience where you can see people's eyes and hear people's laughter and stuff like that. There is a a certain technique where you have to, you know, do a punchline and, yeah. and sort of assume or hope that there's a laugh at the end.
1: Friend of mine
0: who's a friend of mine doing stand up comedy through the <laughs> pandemic on Zoom, and I'm like, oh my god! I don't oh, even, that is yeah. I don't know how you do it, but anyway, yeah. and and especially with someone like you, you're laying it all out there, hard on your sleeve. Yeah. You know those the yeah contact with people is really important uh, nonetheless yeah. it's going to be a powerful day i know it's the mental health foundation's annual breakfast again mentalhealthfoundation.ca victoria maxwell the keynote kind enough to join us today we'll talk to you again soon and thank you for this
7: absolutely thank you so much i look yeah, forward
0: to it you bet we'll see you next wednesday everybody that's coming up again 7 a.m mountain that's 9 a.m eastern you can join virtually wherever you're coming from and i know that it's going to be a great event and, and fundraising for a great cause through the mental health foundation uh we'll check in with uh, sarah hoyles the producer of this show just a moment before we do Sarah of course is keeping an eye on developments in Ukraine it's uh, i mean it's a Russian declaration of war i mean eo uh, the eu rather european union and nato officials have condemned russia's attack they're vowing to hold the kremlin accountable here this is a story we will be covering obviously uh, in days and weeks to come uh, on on the sponsorship side of our show there's a big announcement uh, made just a couple of days ago by our friends we used to refer to them as local waste, and they've rebranded and done a really nice job of it local environmental services encourages you to keep it local you know some people say it's only garbage they say but not us they say that your community deserves better better service better prices more support for local causes you can check out their revamped website. They did a beautiful job at localenvironmental.ca to learn more about residential pickup, garbage recycling management, landfill management, water hauling, vacuum trucks, front load, roll off bins. They do it all. Portable toilets, even. No crap, Sam. Portable toilets. They do it. they have been doing for to, I, to I had to. I was going to yeah. say no shit, but I didn't know if they wanted that in their ad, so I won't. Well, just, now it's in their I'll ad. I'll just say we can bleep it out okay, for the podcast. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that later. Maybe we'll bleep that part out for the podcast. Localenvironmental.ca is where you can find the team at Local Environmental. And don't forget, of course, obviously, Trash Talk. Will I recycle some old emails tomorrow? No, I will not. I will roll off fresh ones. A Trash Talk coming up on tomorrow's edition of Real Talk presented by local environmental hey we're coming up on the first of the month the first of march is going to be here before you know it it's a tuesday circle it and make sure that you visit friesen brothers 16 alberta communities a home to friesen brothers and on the first of every month it's 15 percent off all grocery purchases over 75 dollars that is a big big savings for families where I know it feels like everything's getting a little tighter these days, doesn't it? Utilities are more, you know, fuels costing more when we're filling up our cars. I mean, it's just everything's costing more. 15% off on the first of the month at Friesen Brothers for more than 65 years. They have been Alberta grown, Alberta owned Friesen Brothers from their family to yours. And if you're feeling like something grab and go, something quick, and you happen to be near a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, I encourage you to check out their brand new burger menu, Michelle, one of the owners of the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton, reached out to me. She says, Jespo, you got to tell everybody about the Signature Stack Burger. They've revamped their Dairy Queen Burger menu and that includes the Bacon 2 Cheese Deluxe, the Signature stacker. Woo! What about the Flamethrower Signature Stack Burger? You can go single, double, or triple. And of course, the Loaded A1 Signature Stack Burger. That's not even to mention the Mushroom Cheeseburger. And of course, that Original Cheeseburger, all favorites at the Dairy Queen's in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount and in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. Sarah Hoyles, a big part of her job, of course, is not just while we're on the air, but putting the show together for days to come, and in a circumstance like this, where there's certainly international crisis, I mean, we've got, you know, live monitors, uh, 24-hour news going in our studios, and all I'm seeing is explosions, artillery shells, uh, big Russian convoy vehicles, Ukraine doing everything it can, I think, to defend itself right now, and and then strong statements, but statements right now from the EU and NATO remains to be seen what that's going to look like. We'll have more on this uh, in tomorrow's show, but anything happened over the past couple of hours the past hour at least that we should be keeping an eye on
3: um very concerning uh russian forces are attempting to seize control of the chernobyl uh, nuclear power plant okay so um the concern is uh the foreign ministry from ukraine said they're tweeting that the russian attack on ukraine could cause another ecological disaster so they're trying russians are trying to gain control of that nuclear power plant um We're looking at there's confirmed dead now. We've got um, at least seven dead confirmed. And as far as Canada is concerned, the folks are being moved from the consulate there to Poland. And the Canadian government is saying that they cannot guarantee safety, their ability to... keep Canadians safe. There is extremely severely limited and Canadians should not rely on the government to help them leave the country. The UN is also saying that they will step in. They're trying their, their damnedest um, and they will try to help folks in any way that shape or form that they can, as far as the refugee element.
0: Okay. We, I mean, gosh, there's so many angles to cover on this Hoyles, aren't there? I mean, and, and we will in days to come. I mean, this is sort of day one, you know yesterday we're sitting there talking about what this means and could this lead to conflict and, and I think it's a it's a testament to the guests that you booked and people can check out those interviews from yesterday saying that this is absolutely inevitable uh, you know 100% it's going to happen but but you know you take a look even at, at, at the at the sports angle and I talked tonight about you know when when Alex Ovechkin and our Panarin face off and these are two Russian superstars on ice. Uh, that have very different allegiances or feelings about Russian President Vladimir Putin. People are saying, well, Alex Ovechkin should answer for this. Others saying athletes don't have to answer for anything. But what about the IOC, the International Olympic Committee? It's strongly condemning the breach of what's called the Olympic truce. Um, and I saw that they released uh, this statement at Olympics dot com. People can people can read that if they like. Uh, Olympics dot com is where you'll find that condemnation. They say the breach of the Olympic truce by the Russian government Uh, this UN resolution adopted by the UN General Assembly back in December of 2021 by the consensus of all 193 UN member states the truce begins seven days before the start of the games and ends seven days after the closing of the Paralympic Games Thomas Bach the IOC president reiterating a call for peace today uh, expressing this in speeches at the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympic Games says observe your commitment to this Olympic truce and then quoting John Lennon says give peace a chance well folks are saying that I mean this is to the point now where Probably uh, Russia should be banned uh, from the Olympic Games, at least in the short term. Japan and Germany have seen a sanction like that in past. Um, this would be uh, this is per Steve Wilson's reporting, the um, former reporter for the Olympics with AC, with the uh, AP, the Associated Press. says this is the third time in 14 years, third time that Russia has violated that Olympic truce resolution in, in 2008. During Beijing, Russia went to war with Georgia. In 2014, during Sochi in Russia, uh, Russia annexed Crimea and then says, and that's not even to mention the doping scandals. So this is, uh, to say the least, uh, something that will be sort of a multi-pronged response, I think, from the international community uh, and the one that we'll continue to keep an eye on.
3: Well, I mean, before the Olympics began, Putin went and met with Xi Jinping in China. And I, I can only imagine what they spoke about. But um, there is silence right now. Well, I mean, you mentioned that China said that they're not going to interfere, and also silence. So there's obviously an agreement between those two countries that you know we're going to stay out each other's business. We're going to let you run China, we're going to let you run the Beijing Olympics. Um, I mean, that's whether it's seven days from now or today, uh, this aggression is uh, unfounded. Illegal, uh inhumane. I, I could go on and on.
0: Yeah. We've got a bunch of people sort of sifting through and processing what they're hearing right now. Like what's what's the end game of trying to seize Chernobyl? It's capped off. It's 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 potentially not a threat. Others are going, wait a second, they're invading from the north? Uh, what's going on here? You know, Debbie simply says prayers for Ukraine and all those who have family affected, and that's not lost on us as well. There are many Canadians with family there. It's why our coverage will continue. One of the reasons why in meaningful fashion uh tomorrow coming up on the show, obviously we'll take a look at uh russia's invasion of ukraine tomorrow plus alberta's budget by the way drops today it's a huge day uh, for the province of alberta so we're going to be taking a look at that tomorrow and as and as we get set to wrap here also wanted to let you know we've, we've got a couple of of non-conflict related guests coming up tomorrow here so uh number one coming up on the show the federal minister of tourism he's a member of parliament out of edmonton randy bosno is going to join us now i know he's going to want to talk about tourism and there are certainly implications with regards to COVID. And so we're going to learn more about what's going on with regards to border regulations of flights that Canadians will be looking to get on or get off. And what does the tourism industry look like? But, of course, Randy Boston is sitting around the cabinet table. So we'll talk Emergencies Act. We'll talk Russia, Ukraine, and then a roundtable on conspiracy theories. Not which ones are real, but who believes in them? How do they get started and how do they spread. That's Friday's traditional Real Talk Roundtable coming up tomorrow. In the meantime, like, share, subscribe, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles, technical producer, Sam Brooks, managing director, Josh Dunford, account coordinator, Tanya Franklin, merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers, website design, Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harman Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group, Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.